All right. Uh, so, Father, we come before in Jesus' name. Help me. Let the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you. And help us, Lord, not just to do a religious routine. Let us be changed. Let us be challenged. Let us go out of here making adjustments, being more like you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So Thanksgiving's coming up. So I'm on this theme that could last forever, which is go out to coffee with Jesus. Ask him about something. And he has uh, left us four Gospels full of his words. So when I was praying over what I wanted to talk about, I love the Psalms, of course. I've been, I've told you this many times, I've been probably 75% of my study and meditation of the last five years has been in the Psalms because I just felt like I didn't know them well enough. Now I feel like I got a handle on them pretty good. Um, so I thought, oh man, there's plenty of Psalms. I mean, man, praise the Psalm. I could have gone with Psalm 103. What's better than Psalm 103? I was thinking of Psalm 116. I love the Lord because he hears my voice and my supplication. Because he's inclined his ear to me, I'll call upon him as long as I live. But as I'm, as you're preparing, I don't know, it's a little bit mystical, but you kind of feel like the Holy Spirit, like, nah, that's not the one. Nope, that's not the one. And then as I was praying about it, I was like, there are verses that just say, Jesus gives thanks for something. They, I mean, they use the word. I mean, in the context, he's giving thanks for something. So I'm sure... He gave thanks for all kinds of things because he's our perfect model. And scripture says we're supposed to give thanks in everything. We're supposed to even give thanks in our trials and our difficulties and when we're persecuted and when affliction comes, all that kind of stuff. But there's a few times, and, and it's surprisingly few times, where the word appears in a context. And uh, the biblical authors are strategic. So they don't just, oh, man, I could, you know, this book needs to be 20 pages. I'm going to stuff some filler in here. No, they're, they're very strategic on the themes and the words that they use and whatever. So I was thinking, where does it very specifically say that Jesus is thankful for something? And it's surprisingly rare, um, which doesn't mean he wasn't thankful, but I think it is probably to make us think about things that maybe we would overlook. Now, there is one time he gives thanks for food, and you know we, we're not going to overlook that one this week, hopefully. But there's some other ones that uh, I want to point out to you. So again, this is, we've ordered Jesus a coffee here, and I got mine. He's got his Thanksgiving blend. Last week, remember, he had one that, had, that wasn't bitter. His coffee wasn't bitter because we talked about bitterness. This week, he's got his Thanksgiving blend going. Um, and I know that people that come from very formal backgrounds might be offended by this, but Jesus was truly a... He was God in the flesh, but he was truly a person who dealt with people as people. So uh, I have no checks in my spirit that he'd be offended at the idea of going to a coffee shop and actually ordering him something he might like. So I, I'm, uh, I'm asking Jesus as, uh, like, pretend I hadn't studied the Bible for the last 30 years. Jesus, what kind of things are you specifically thankful for? And then he might respond, well, I left you Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John full of my own words. And on occasion, you'll hear that 
I gave thanks for something. So why don't you just go check it out? So we don't actually have to have coffee with Jesus because we have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, which are full of the words of Jesus. So we can go search these things out. So that's what we've been doing. What is, you know, what we want to figure out is whether our opinions line up with Jesus's opinions. So hopefully this will be challenging for you. And guess what he's thankful for? Some of my very favorite themes. And uh, I went out to lunch this week with a friend of mine who used to be an elder in our previous church, and we're still great friends. But back in that church, he said, Ted, you got about 10 themes. And uh, your sermons are always going to be some kind of variation or you know, combination of those 10 themes. Yeah, you're probably right. And that book I just wrote has 10 chapters. Those are my 10 themes if anybody wants to crack the code. So um, what is Jesus thankful for? He's thankful. One of my favorite passages. I really didn't plan this. I was like, oh, he gives very specific thanks for something. The simplicity of a true knowledge of God. So... Interesting word that I translated thanks here. Uh, that's King James put thanks. My my script it, it, again. We talk about semantic domains, right? Words don't just have one technical meaning; they're flexible. Um, mine says, "I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth." King James says, "I thank you." So I went with thanks because this is Thanksgiving, and that's my theme. But at that time, he said, "I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you've hidden these things from the wise and intelligent." And revealed them to infants or babies. So he's, again, I said, you don't find this very often. He's thankful that the best truths, the most life transforming truths, are hidden from super smart people, and babies have the ability to apprehend them. Boy, I just don't think the church has heard this down through the ages. We don't really believe this. I mean, if I'm talking to the church as a whole, God's people, even the born again, we truly beat this drum that to go deeper with God, you need to get super technical, super philosophical, super theological. But Jesus said, no, the best truths are revealed to babies. And he's thankful for it. And not only that, they're hidden from the wise and intelligent. Now, our church pushes really hard learning and learning theology and learning history. And if you have the time, you know, go get a theological degree and come to our seminars. We push learning really hard. <clears throat> but the truths that will really move your life and really make you fruitful um, they're not, you don't have to know Hebrew and Greek. And you don't have to know high theology. You don't, you don't have to know, you have to have a Bible. You have to have humility. You have to have the fear of the Lord. You ha absolutely have to be born again. And you need the Holy Spirit. But those most important truths that are going to get you through life, uh, you don't need to be a theological expert. Do you find that encouraging? If you do, say Amen. And I want to warn you guys, and especially, I know there are girls that like theology, but it just seems like guys get into the intellectual pride thing. Nine times, if there's 10 people that are getting into the intellectual pride thing it, that are in their 20s, nine of them are guys. 
their guys and they're they're reading their theology tomes and whatever. That usually ends up tripping you up if you already have a dynamic walk with the Lord. And I'm just warning you, I think it's a scheme of the devil. And you've heard me say this many times. That's why why do they call seminary cemetery? I I mean, I've gone. I'm just saying you have it's the real stuff happens on a very simple plane, even knowing God. And uh I guess, yeah, I'll pick on Marlena a little bit. She she her life was transformed by simply meeting the God who revealed himself in Christ. And then she came to the theology class and we showed her historical theology. And uh, I just remember, what'd you think talking to her? What'd you think about that? She said, made me mad. It made me mad because it, it instead of this gentle, loving, warm, inviting God who loves everyone and just wants to restore me. It's this philosophical, it's, it, you know, she didn't say this, but the more you study, it's like trying to cultivate a romance with gravity or something, you know, or, or you know, the third law, law of thermodynamics or whatever. It's our time. Yeah, me and time, we have this thing, you know, it's like you can't. And, and the more you study the high theology, it just gets impersonal and cold and, you know, and you're convincing yourself that God doesn't answer prayer. Whereas when you were young and loved the Lord, it was also simple. It's just you wake up in the morning. Oh, Jesus, I'm so glad to be alive. Thank you for being with me. Fill me with your spirit. You got to keep that going no matter how much you study theology. So Jesus says, I thank you. And then very particularly, what's he talking about? All things have been handed over to me by my father. No one knows the son except the father. No one knows the father except the son. Okay, so let's connect the dots. Who knows the Father? The PhD in philosophy? No, there's a better chance that guy's going to go off the rails. I know this will offend people who study too much theology, but I bet you I've probably studied more theology than anybody that's going to listen to this. I've studied it, you know, at the PhD level at two different schools, and I just, it's not where the action is. It's not where the power is. It's not where the peace and the joy and the fruitfulness is. And that's so Jesus, this is one thing that he gives thanks for. And so if you're brand new in the kingdom, and I heard someone just within the last week surrendered completely to the Lord in this place, and I'm not going to embarrass them by pointing them out. There's a lot of, you know, God, God's moving. You don't have to say, oh, I got to go to seminar for two years before me and God are going to have an intimacy and a closeness, and he's going to hear my prayers. Nope. You can start learning some of the most important things that are going to sustain you for the rest of your life right now. And for those of you who are studying, I'm always warning you young guys that I don't, it just seems like we just get enamored with the big names who write the big books and the apologists and the theologians and all this. And I'm like, dudes, that is not where the action is. Go ahead and learn that stuff. But if you think going down that track is going to bring you closer to the Lord, you're kidding yourself. I, again, I just, I interact with people who are uh, the last couple of weeks as I'm working on this new book, I, I was talking to a theologian. He's a real important guy. His star, his, one of his star protégés who was teaching at a really important school bailed out of the faith just recently. And I don't want to give too many details, but I saw something that he said in his approach to God, and it was completely intellectual. It was a completely intellectual approach to God. 
And that ultimately brought him to a place where he just snapped and he walked away from the faith. And, it, and it's, pro, it's probably shaking tens of thousands of young people um, because this high-minded, philosophical, intellectual, 25-cent word thing is not where the action is. And Jesus says, I'm thankful for that. And I'm thankful for that. Maybe I should say, I got to keep track of my time because the clock on the wall back there isn't working. But um, being simple doesn't mean being stupid. Right? I like peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. Can I get an amen? They're really tasty. It doesn't take a rocket scientist, brain surgeon to make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. It's very simple, but you got to do it right. Right? So, um, what's some really nasty kind of bread that wouldn't work, right? Or, or, or some kind of jam that, um, whatever, some, some exotic jam that's okay. How about this? How about, how about fruit bread? Would a peanut butter jelly sandwich work with the, with the loaf of, uh, the fruit loaf that keeps getting rotated around? It's probably been traveling around for the last 50 years. You got it last year, then you sent it to somebody else. Could you make a PBJ? No, that would be wrong. That'd be a wrong type of, Right, you got to have the right ingredients. So walking with the Lord is simple, but you have to do it right. So some people think simple means, hey, just make it up, fly by the seat of your pants. You still have to learn how to do it. And how do you know you're getting it right? Right, it works. That's what Paul said. I don't want to hear your words. I want to see your power. Right, the power of the gospel transforms lives. You have the peace that passes comprehension. You have fruitfulness. You have joy. You can get through trials. Dare I say, many of us, we get to throw our meds in the garbage can. We don't have to keep visiting our therapists. I know this offends Christians because we've lost the ability to do this. But the Bible says that. Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary, heavy laden. I will give you rest. Rest is not, oh man, if I don't take my meds, I'm going to you know, spontaneously combust. No, rest is I've actually find, found a state of constant peace and joy. So you know you're getting it right. And you found that simple recipe because it works. So Jesus says, uh, ultimately, and this is what ultimately got me on the track of discovering a much deeper understanding of who God is, which, of course, is revealed in Exodus 34, 6, in the person of Jesus Christ, that he's compassionate and gracious and slow to anger and great in kindness and faithfulness. And that's a much better thing to focus on than all these big 25-cent words. So be careful, keep it simple. Um, so maybe we will return to that in a moment, but that's one thing that Jesus is thankful for. Don't get tripped up. And I've had only a couple guys I've discipled that have gone off the rails because they drank they drank the Kool-Aid. They said, nope, that's what everybody's telling me at the seminaries. That's what everybody's telling me on the radio. It's an intellectual thing. No, ultimately, keeping alive spiritually is a very simple thing. You stay in the Word, you stay in prayer, you stay obedient, you stay surrounded by people who love the Lord, you make sure you're full of the Holy Spirit. Um, it's very simple. Why do I study? Because another one of my little things I live by is walking with Jesus is very simple, but staying simple can get very complicated. So you young people that don't know much, stay by the people who are bearing the kind of fruit that you want to bear, and uh, they'll protect you while you're young until you learn how to protect yourself. So <clears throat> simplicity is one thing. Thank God for simplicity. Let's see what's, oh, and this is what the Apostle Paul says. 
who I think was candidate for the smartest guy in the world in his day. I really do. I'm not, I mean, I don't think I'm uh, overstating the case. Uh, someone, a government official once said, Paul, your great learning is driving you mad. And he's like, no, you know, you've studied the same stuff. I'm backing you in a corner and you're just getting nervous. And the dude's like, I mean, basically he doesn't argue. Paul was an intellectual monster, but he said this, let no one deceive himself. If anyone thinks himself to be wise in this age or by this world standards, you have to become foolish in order to become wise. And then late, right after this, he says, the wisdom of the world, foolishness of God. God's going to teach you a way to walk with him. It's very simple. And, if, and all the greats that we love to study, the world shakers, some of them are brilliant. Actually, George Mueller was brilliant. I think he knew 10 languages. But the dude walks like a, like a seven-year-old in the way that he prays, in the way that he believes. And the power that he walked in was astonishing. And people come all over the, from all over the world. So again, it's not stupid. It's not make it up. It's do it right. And we learn a lot to protect it. But the secret is, if you're not a believer here today, or you're a young believer, you don't have to wait 20 years before you start enjoying some of the really wonderful truths of who God is and how to walk with him. Which will move us to the next one, like how to pray. So it made me immediately think of another place where Jesus said thank you, was uh, when Lazarus was raised from the dead. This is a really interesting passage. Let's see, maybe I'll just jump in here. Jesus, he goes to Mary and Martha's, and um, they're complaining that Jesus hadn't come earlier and that Lazarus had died, but Jesus knew exactly what he was doing. Sometimes God's not answering your prayer today for some trial you're facing today because he has something even more glorious in mind. So we get mad, and the devil says God doesn't love you, and God's ignoring you. And God's like, hey, I love you, and just be patient and trust me. And if I didn't answer that initial request and your heart was right, he said, it's because I got something even better going on. So that's what's happening with Lazarus. Jesus said to her, did I not say to you, if you believe, you'll see the glory of God? So they removed the stone. Then Jesus raised his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you heard me. I knew, or I know, that you always hear me, but because of the people standing around, I said it, so that they may believe that you sent me. Jesus is like, look, I already took care of all the business I needed to with my father, and I know what's going to happen here. A few weeks ago, we talked about going out to Jesus and talking about prayer, and how radically it is different it is than so much of the prayer that we're taught. A lot of us who grew up in our Bible-believing, even born-again churches the kind of teaching in the New Testament is wild. Um, and it's you get to the place where you and God are in agreement. And then at that point, you can either rejoice or you can even make a prophetic proclamation. And I know some of my good friends, some of my Kansas City friends, when they heard this kind of stuff, they're like, I don't want to go back to that church. And then they got out their Bibles and they're like, oh, my goodness. This is what's going on. And then they got out history, the people I'm trying to show you from history, and the way they prayed, the Andrew Murrays, the people that actually brought the glory from heaven, you know, the way they, wow. You pray until you get to the point where you know God's going to do it. So Jesus basically says, okay, I'm going to pray in front of you guys, 
and I'm doing it more for your benefit than anything that needs to transpire between me and the Father, because this has already been taken care of. That was not the prayer I was raised on, and it was until I discovered the great evangelical works on prayer, the way Dale Moody prayed, the way John Hyde prayed, the way the people that we study on Saturdays prayed. But he said, I thank you, Father. You've heard me. It's over. The battle's already done. This thing's going to happen. When he said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. So, again, he had already taken care of his business in prayer. And so, this is a new kind of praying. And But you can get to the place, old evangelicals used to call it praying through. And uh, sometimes it takes travail. Sometimes it takes days, weeks, years, all nights of prayer. We looked um, a couple weeks ago at V. Raymond Edmond, who used to be the president of Wheaton College, how he was dying on the mission field in Ecuador, and God told a little Bible conference, I don't even want, remember what state, Ohio or something. They said, V. Raymond Edmond is dying, and you need to intercede for him. And they took the whole day, they interceded for him. And he said he was watching his life pass before his eyes, and he just, all of a sudden, boom, he's out. Gets up out of bed. His wife dyed her wedding dress black. They said, she, we're going to have to bury him this afternoon. That's how they used to do it. Pray through. Get to the point where you know God's going to do a miracle. And It's a lot like Jesus does here. Hallelujah. It's over. It's done. The battle is won. Um, now, because this is such a foreign thing to us now in the church, because you can't do this afternoon, like I said, how to do it. But uh, we should kind of like riding a bike, start experiencing this, start getting better and better at it. I'm believing God for this person's salvation. I've come to the point where I know God's going to bring this person in. Um, and you'll probably miss a couple times if you're a young believer and you're trying to get there. It's like, well, big deal. I mean, we're learning how to ride the bike. So you wipe out occasionally. It doesn't mean it's not true. It doesn't mean that's not the way it works. <clears throat> so Jesus basically does this. He thanks God because he knows God's going to do something supernatural in a situation. And then this reminded me of the passage, one of the passages we looked at when we talked about Jesus's view of prayer uh, in Mark 11, where he says, truly, I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and cast into the sea or Lazarus, comes forth, come forth. Whoever makes this proclamation and doesn't doubt in his heart, why isn't he doubting in his heart? Because he's already done the groundwork in prayer. Believes what he says is going to happen, it will be granted. Therefore, therefore, so somehow this is connected to this, therefore I say to you all things for which you pray and ask, believe. Get to that point where you actually have faith. Every time you see believe or faith, it's that same Greek word, it's pistis. Or pistuo. It's the it's the, the kind of the touch point between heaven and earth. That's what you're after. A lot of us try to have faith, but we don't really have it. We know in the back of our minds, like God, I'm believing you. And then the back of your mind, you're like, but I'm not really sure. I hope this works out. No, you can actually pray through to the point where you get this crazy. That's what this Russian called it. But I was talking to uh, someone before the service about back when I was in Russia. I remember uh, my translator the first time he had this experience he came over to my apartment and he said i don't know what it is i have a crazy confidence that's what he called a crazy confidence that's what faith is a crazy why god's giving it to me so 
<clears throat> believe that you've received it, it'll be given to you. So whenever you, and then he says, whenever you stand praying, forgive. Because again, you have to have your heart in the right position. You can be asking for the right kind of a thing based on the word of God. But again, if you're not in the position to receive, we're just putting pieces together here. We talked about bitterness last week. Got to get all that bitterness out or the whole program's going to shut down. God has, it's kind of like a big machine. And if you get everything functioning properly in your life and you understand how God does things, you see a lot of cool things happen. So Jesus just throws this on here. Yeah, you can command, you can believe, you can pray through, you can get to the place where a miracle is going to happen. But you make sure that your hands are clean and your heart is pure, and especially that you don't have bitterness. I hope you guys woke up this morning and you thought about what we talked about last week. God, do I have bitterness against anyone? The guy that cut me off on the way here? My mom, who was totally unreasonable last night. When I, my mom wasn't. I did talk to her on the phone. She wasn't unreasonable. That was a hypothetical mom. Um, a lot of times she's on here. But uh, maybe my roommate, just just, just says, make sure supernatural things can happen through faith, but make sure you're right. So he thanks God beforehand for something miraculous that is going to happen. And he does it publicly so that people will uh, see how faith works. So that's an interesting one. That's a really fascinating one. So he, so he thanks God for the simplicity of how the relationship with God works. And here's a good example of it. And he thanks God in the midst of a situation where a miracle needs to happen because he's showing us how the principles of faith and prayer work. And uh, what he says here in Mark 11, he practices in John 11. He doesn't say mountain move, and he doesn't say curse be this fig tree. He says, Lazarus, come forth. And we can say, <laughs> you guys have all watched House of Prayer, right? Jim Cimbala, let me see your hands, right? They prayed through on, on his daughter. And they got to the point where they said, in the name of Jesus, Satan, you will release that girl. And uh, no, I mean, people may not like that theology, but she's now the wife of uh, the pastor of the Chicago Tabernacle and leading the music ministry there. She's a woman of God. She just wrote a book. This may be forgotten, but this is the way it's done. And Jesus gives us an example of how it's done. Have you guys gotten to the place where you are unfazed and thankful for a miracle that has not yet taken place because you knew you know you've done your business with God and something that needs to transpire in this world is going to transpire. But we see, so we're out to coffee with Jesus. Here's another example where I'm thankful. What are you thankful for? Something that has not yet happened, but I know it's going to happen. If this sounds strange to you, then you need to go study the topic of prayer more and study the great lives of the intercessors uh, down through history. <clears throat> Who, who's read uh, Praying Hyde? Praying Hyde? He's one of the greatest missionaries in India, Presbyterian, and a lot of people too. I love Pentecostals, but when I talk this way, people are like, oh, you're Pentecostal. No, these are Presbyterians and Methodists and Baptists, and most of them lived before 1906, which is when Pentecostalism burst onto the scene. It wasn't even a thing. No, this is the way the greatest... Just Bible-believing, born-again uh, people prayed for about 200 years, and now we're doing something else. So, anyway, what else is Jesus thankful for? Food. He is thankful for food. And this is interesting, because there's so many 
we could just launch off on so many different lessons from this. And uh, it's in all the Gospels. I chose the one from Matthew. But Jesus called his disciples. He said, I feel compassion for the people. Oh, man, see, right there, I'm, I'm gone. I could talk for the next hour. When, when Jesus does a miracle, what, what motivates him? Whenever it tells what the motivation is, it's compassion. And, you know, spong knees on my, moved in the guts. Oh, man, being hungry stinks. Oh, I don't like it when people are hungry. That's literally what happened here. These people are hungry. Oh, wow. So he feels compassion. And again, that goes back to first thing God told Moses about himself. God, who are you? Let me know your ways. I'm compassionate. Similar kind of a word, physiological word. I moved in the guts for the needs of people. So uh, anyway, he's moved for this. They've remained with me for three days. They don't have anything to eat. I don't want to send them away hungry. They might faint on the way. Americans don't really know what it's like to be hungry. We have friends in Africa right now uh, that are, I think I saw Alan on the Zoom. I bet Alan knows what it means to be hungry. It means there's nothing to eat for a day or two or three. Um, we, we just haven't had that experience. But in most parts of the world throughout most of human history, for most of humanity, hunger has been a real thing. So these are, maybe some of you have fasted and you're like, wow, this is my first experience with hunger. But uh, yeah, it's no fun. So Jesus likes, I want to, he's like, I want to fix the situation. The disciples said to him, where can we get so many loaves in this desolate place to satisfy a large crowd? Jesus said to them, how many loaves do you have? They said seven and a few small fish. So they have thousands of people and, you know, maybe enough to feed one row. He directed the people to sit down on the ground. He took the seven loaves of fish and giving thanks, giving thanks. When I think about this situation, I guess the, the, the predominant message that came through to me was, when we don't have enough, what do we tend to do? Grumble. Or if we don't have a car that's as nice as the next guy's, we grumble. Um, if we don't have the job that we think we should have at this point in life, we grumble. Or if we're saving for something and then we have a medical bill and we only have this much, whereas before we had that much, we grumble. And uh, I guess when I was looking at this, I was thinking Jesus took what was there in front of him, and he was thankful for it. And that invites God's grace and presence and power to do something with it that would blow everyone's mind. And uh, I was also thinking about like Philippians 4, 6, and 7. What a time to be anxious, right? we got all these hungry people. They're going to start dropping. They're out here in the wilderness with us. Uh, you want to feed them. There's no possible way to figure this out. So, you know, don't be anxious about everything, anything, but in prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. So Jesus, thanksgiving here, prayer, supplication, thanksgiving, expectation, God's going to make good in this situation. But I think when we grumble, that's doubt, that's complaining, that's accusations against God. Ultimately, that's telling God, you're not loving, you're dealing unjustly, you're not taking care of my needs. Well, God can't work with that. So he, what do you have? Are you thankful? The little bit you have, are you thankful? You're not in the job you want. You're not getting the hours you want. You're not in the school you want. But uh, are you, do you have a job? 
Do you have any money in the bank? Do you have a roof over your head? Yeah, I want to own and we have to rent. I hate it. Oh, I hate renting. All right. Well, I guess you can just go, you know, Johnny Raincloud, go mope in the corner until you get thankful and, you know, you open up, you open yourself up to what God can do with the little bit that you do have. So be thankful for what you have. And I think that it frees up the Lord to bring in the supernatural, a thankful heart. So, uh, yeah, I guess this would be a good time. Do you guys ever just do like little thank binges where you drive around your car? Lord, this car is 20 years old, but man, this thing is running like a Swiss watch. Thank you. Right? And it's really huge. I'm talking about my car. So if I got in a wreck, I'd be the one that was really safe. And No, I wouldn't want to hurt the next guy. But I mean, right? And, uh, you know, God, I thank you that I, I can see I can, as I'm driving. And, you know, and I picked up a hammer. Thank you for the food. And I don't have any pains in my body. And uh, thank you for worship music. The worship, worship is so wonderful. I just thank you for being able to commune with you anywhere and that my my hands on the wheel. Wow. My hand worked. I mean, there's a million things we could give thanks for. Um, and, uh, maybe I don't own a house. Well, I do, but maybe, you know, if I didn't own a house that I'm renting, well, God, I thank you. I'm there. There. I'm going to trust that there's a reason for this right now. And I thank you. that I got a roof over my head. I thank you for my roommate. And uh, if I have a difficult roommate, Lord, I want to rejoice in trials because you're teaching me all kinds of great things through this difficult roommate. Cause there's nothing we can't give thanks for, but I think, when we have a little and we give thanks for it, um, it opens us up to bringing God into the situation. Okay, you're living here and you wish you were living here. Uh, you 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 want to go to college, but you don't have the funds to do it. You're sick and you want to be well. All of these barriers just give us opportunities. Lack. It all gives us opportunities to invite God in, so God can do what God wants to do. So we see Jesus when He has a very little, giving thanks having big expectations. And then we see, of course, God meeting everyone's needs and blowing everyone's mind. So Jesus gives thanks for simplicity. Walking with God is so simple. Uh, I've said this so many times, but one of the most, I have to forgive him, can't get bitter. But I just remember a more theologically oriented pastor slamming one of my favorite songs. I come to the garden alone while the dew is still on the roses. And the voice I hear whispering in my ear, the Son of God discloses. And I, I could get emotional, you know, I could start crying. And he walks with me and he talks with me and he tells me I am his own. And the, I mean, that's baby talk, man. That moves me. And the joy we share as we tarry there, none others ever know. That's where the action is, man. That's where it happens. You're walking with him and you're talking with him and you're like, hey, God, you know what? You just threw some people into our church that are impossible. And nobody else can help them. But we've seen you do this so many times. Jesus, we know you can help them. We know you will help them. I'm not going to be all immutable, you know, predestining, sovereign, whatever. Yeah, there's some stuff about God. But God says, you don't have to mess with that. Just look at Jesus. How did Jesus, what is he like? God, there's sick people in our church. Jesus, you never, you never told someone that sickness was a good thing. You always fought it. Maybe you put, maybe you pushed it back a little bit, with, like with Lazarus, so that something better could happen. But you were always up to good, and you, sickness was never a good thing. But this is just like this really simple thing. But I digress. Simplicity. Prayer. 
We can thank God before things happen. Why? Because that's how he told us to do it. That's A little kid can understand this. A theologian can't. Theologian can't understand this anymore. They cannot understand that God can be moved. They lose their ability to understand. Uh, really kind-hearted, wonderful theologians I know, they cannot pray like that anymore, like a child. Jesus says, hey, get to the place where you can thank God beforehand and expect a miracle. And then whatever little thing you have, whatever tough situation you're in, whatever lack, whatever obstacle, thank God for the situation so that you can invite his presence and his power into that situation. All right, what else is Jesus thankful for? He's also thankful for the new covenant and for salvation. <clears throat> so again, this isn't all the Gospels, but I just chose Luke. For those of you who are new, there's four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are very, very similar. And they're called synoptic. And it's interesting because you see the sin in there as in together, and then you see optic as in look. So synop you look at them together because they're very similar. And uh, so if you study Matthew, Mark, and Luke, you're going to see a lot of overlap. Um, and it's almost as if Mark is kind of a outline with a few details, and then Matthew puts a lot of original material onto what Mark put, and then Luke puts a lot of original material. But it's just a great way to kind of get a multi-perspectival view of different things in Jesus's life. And then John's just radically different. It's almost like John said, hey, these first three gospels are great, but there's a whole bunch of really cool stories and things Jesus said that you guys didn't cover, so I'm just going to fill in those gaps. So this story, this account, this historical event is in all the Gospels, because when it's important, it's going to be in all the Gospels. Really, really important. So when the hour had come, he reclined at the table and the apostles with him. He said to them, I've earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. <clears throat> I say to you, I shall never again eat it until it's fulfilled in the kingdom of God. So again, this is the Passover, Last Supper. This is when he's uh, instituting what people call communion or the sacrament of the Lord's Supper or different traditions call it different things. This is the bread and the wine. We do it the first. Is it the first or the last? First. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not a detail guy. So um, we make sure to do it at least once a month where, where we take bread and wine and we commemorate the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus on our behalf. So this is a, this is where the first time this ever happens and he's telling his disciples that he wants them to pass this tradition down. When he had taken the cup and given thanks, he gave thanks. He knows what's coming, and he knows what this is symbolizing. He's saying, God, thank you for that. He looks in there, and he sees bright red wine, and he said, my blood is going to be spilled for you guys, and I'm thankful. Take this, share it among yourselves. I say to you, I'll not drink of the fruit of the uh, vine from now until the kingdom of God comes. So when he'd taken some bread and given thanks, so then he sees this unleavened, very white, or no, olives colored because he's Jewish, right? Bread, he tears it and he thinks, I'm going to be torn. This is this is establishing a relation, a new relationship, new covenant between humanity and God. 
And he's giving thanks. He's giving thanks for what's coming. So here's another time where we see Jesus giving thanks, giving thanks for simplicity, giving thanks for prayer that's going to be answered before it's answered, uh, giving thanks with the little that he has, expecting God to do something wonderful in the situation instead of grumbling, complaining. And here we have him thinking about his death. And uh, he didn't have an easy button. Yeah, I mean, if, well, things are getting tough. I think I'm going to uh, draw my omnipotence here so I can just skate through this whole Gethsemane thing and go to the cross and uh, not even feeling this, guys. <laughs> you know, it's like, no, he, he went through it. Um, he wrestled through it with, with the full range of human emotions. He said he was tempted in everything like we are. And he knew how excruciating it was going to be. It was so excruciating that he sweat drops of blood, that he said, you know, God, if possible, let this cup pass from me. And scripture, we talked about this on Saturday. God actually sent an angel to give him the strength to go through it. Brutal. But he's giving thanks, thinking about it, giving thanks, telling him, keep doing this in years, decades, centuries, millennia to come, thinking about what I've done for you. When he's taking bread and giving thanks, he broke it, gave it to them, saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup. After they'd eaten, saying, this cup, which is poured out for you, is a new covenant of my blood. So something else he gives thanks for is um, the opportunity to die for us so that we can have a relationship with the Father. And as I was studying this, it made me think about... Um, Hebrews, which we're not exactly sure who wrote Hebrews, but it was so good that the uh, when they were choosing what book should be in the Bible, we're like, we don't know. Was it Paul? Was it Apollos? We don't know, but it's a really good book. Um, I tend to think it was Paul, but it doesn't really matter. In Hebrews 12, too, it says this, Fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. What was a joy set before him? Well, why was he thankful? Because he was saving these guys who he loved. And not just them, potentially everybody on planet Earth. And he knew it was going to be excruciating and difficult, but he knew that the good, there's a verse in he, uh, Romans 8, says, I consider the sufferings of this present time aren't worthy to be compared with the glory to follow. Jesus knew that what he was, the, the glory of what uh was going to come from his suffering, was going to so eclipse any excruciating pain that he had to go through that he, he could be thankful for it. So, <clears throat> and last week I went over this, and I was hoping that I knew we had a new believer last week um, who got hung up this week, and I knew that we had some individuals here who didn't know the Lord last week, but and they stood up for prayer. And so I wanted to go one more time over the... Uh, that bridge illustration, ultimately what Jesus was thankful for was because between us and God, there is a chasm that is uncrossable. You cannot do enough good to come into a relationship with God. And the person who thinks they can is deluded. Just go give it a try. The harder you try, the worse you're going to see that you are. Besides that, any good thing that you're doing to earn salvation isn't good anyway. It's just selfishness. The only way for you to be fixed is the gift of God. 
And we should want to be fixed, not even for ourselves, not even because I want to go to heaven and I don't want to go to hell. We should want to be fixed because God deserves us. Because he created us. Because we have no business rebelling against him. And he is the Lord. And so we should say, God, save me, change my heart so I can treat you in faithfulness and truth according to what you really are and who you really are. But I'm so lost and screwed up, I can never do it unless you do all the heavy lifting. You you have to do everything from your side. So there's this chasm and it's our sin and we're separated from God. And Jesus rejoiced. The last thing he was thankful for was the fact that he got to lay down his life, shed his blood, have his body torn so that we can be friends of God. Sons and daughters of the Most High God. Wish I... Wish I had uh, got a worship song right here, ready to ready to rock. Or I could just like fall on my face, kiss his feet. He was thankful for the opportunity to make that way for us to come to the Father. Do we have a thankful song that we could gear up? Some kind of a thank you for the cross or something like that. That might be a good way to end this thing. We got 20 minutes, but uh, I think from what I understand and what I can see, everybody here has already yielded their lives to Christ. So I'm kind of like, oh, I want to give the uh, the bridge illustration, but it doesn't mean we can't be thankful. And maybe someone in here, you're realizing, no, I never did. I never have. I really need to yield afresh. Maybe someone on Zoom. Um, there's a lot of us who got into this gig because we don't want to go to hell. I'm not sure you're saved, my friend. If you just tried to get fire insurance, because there's also a surrender and a renouncing of your sin that needs to happen before God is going to put his spirit in you. So maybe there is somebody listening. Maybe someone who uh, listens to this down the road on the podcast. But uh, this would be a good thing to do to just give God a little gift. There's very, very little we can do that God couldn't do for himself. But there's something really pure and wonderful we can give to God that he really likes. It, it's something that he receives as a gift, and that's our worship. So looking at Jesus, going out to coffee, Jesus, what are you thankful for? Jesus, I'm really, really thankful that you don't, you don't have to have a PhD in theology, have a deep, deep, intimate walk with you. I'm thankful for that too. And Jesus, I'm really thankful that you put the power of, like Charles Spurgeon said, Prayer is the nerve that moves a muscle of omnipotence. You've given me the ability to move an almighty God. R.A. Torrey said, prayer can do anything God can do. I know this makes people nervous. I don't care. These guys are these guys won the Super Bowl, man. That's what they said, and it seems to line up a lot more clearly with what was said in the Scripture. I'm also thankful for the little that I have. I'm thankful for our little church. I'm thankful for... The fact that we have to rent and we can't buy right now because God knows what he's doing and he's doing miracles. I'm thankful for the people that we do have and I'm thankful for the people that we don't have. You know, I'm thankful that God's cultivating relationships. I'm thankful for the money that we have in the bank and the money that we don't have in the bank. I'm thankful that no millionaire has said, hey, let me write you a check and fulfill all your dreams. I wouldn't be surprised if that happened. I've seen crazy stuff, but if that's not what God wants, I'm thankful for the little that we have but I'm especially thankful 
that I'm a child of God. People think I'm crazy. It's like, well, then you don't know what I'm talking about. You don't know what real peace is. You don't know what real joy is. Everyone's clamoring, scratching, clawing after stuff, position, power, money. I don't need to clamor. I got the stuff. You know? The, the, he's the cupcake. All that other stuff, he could give it to you. It's nothing more than frosting and sprinkles. The cupcake is him. He's the thing. In his presence is a fullness of joy. He's forgiven all my sin. He's put his spirit in me. Someone once, you know, people will ask you, people from other religions, why do you do good? Because I am good. Oh, that's arrogant. No, he made me good. That's what he does. That's what happens when you're born again. He puts his spirit in you. You become the righteousness of God in Christ. He bends you in the direction of good. And then when you sin, you're like, oh, I don't even like that anymore. And we all do. We're like the devil convinces us. But, oh, why do we feel like that? Because he's bent us towards goodness. He's made us into saints. So this is what I'm most, most thankful for. So you got a song ready for us? All right. Well, um, how about let's stand up. This is how we'll wrap up. If you need prayer, come talk to me afterwards. I'm going to say a prayer, and then we'll worship. And if someone could hit the lights, that would be, that would be great. So, Father, we love you. We thank you, Jesus, for shedding your blood so that we can be reconciled, so that we can be sons and daughters, so we can be at peace, so our record, our sins are forgiven, our rap sheet is gone. Satan has no more authority over us. Peace, joy, and the light yoke. Help us to glorify you. We love you. We worship you.